And I want to start, it's a little bit of an audible here, but I want to start just by turning our attention to Jesus, to a scene from his life with his disciples that's it's pretty gripping. It's, it's kind of out of the ordinary. Uh, it's almost like a HBO series, a scene from some HBO series, a mixture of like The Walking Dead and Twilight or something. I, and I, you probably don't think that's in your Bible, but I want you to just follow along with me as I read this. It's in chapter 5 of the book of Mark, actually backing up a few verses in chapter 4 starting in verse uh, 35, if you want to follow along, or you can just sit and listen to the movie. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the Waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He then said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So they went across to the other side of the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. A weird response to Jesus. For Jesus had sent to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus said to him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Another odd response to Jesus. As Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Let's pray again real quick. Father, I just, as we wrap up this series that 
that we've been doing on the subject of race, a subject that we have learned is not a cultural subject. It's our subject. It's your subject. I thank you for a Jesus who goes to the other side, a Jesus that calms the storms, a Jesus that names and banishes evil. It's in the name of Jesus that I preach these words. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So today we do wrap up our four-week series that we've been doing on the subject of race entitled The Gospel, The Church, and Race. We're wrapping up the series on this subject, but we're not wrapping up our work on the subject. That will never be tied up in a bow and be done. Not, not any, no more than any sin we wrap up and tie a bow on it and we never address it again. I've had, I want to tell you my, well, my not-so-secret faith goal for you in this series. You know, in all kingdom works, there's work goals and there's faith goals. Work goals, those belong on your to-do list. Faith goals, those belong on your prayer list. Work goals are things that you can do. Faith goals are the things that you are depending on God to do. So my work goal in this series has been to preach to the best of my ability only from a kingdom perspective on the subject of race. So humbly, that's what I've offered up to you. My faith goal, track with me here. My faith goal has been that this series would help you transcend the hyper-focus on race that's going on in our culture and that you would disengage from the worldly way in which the world is trying to deal with race. Dedicate yourself to the kingdom way, and then descend back into this world and re-engage the subject of race, but only from a kingdom perspective with kingdom motives and kingdom tools. Are you following me there? That's been my faith goal, that that would happen inside of you. Because as we learned in week one, race is the church's business. The world's made it their business. They are doing a sad job of it because they don't have the right motives and the right methods to deal with it. That's our faith. That's our belief. So even if they happen upon a kingdom agenda, it gets hijacked and used for votes or power or money. They don't have that same motive, not, not our motive. The only motive that will purify our methods. And we learned in week two, we discussed how race is ingrained into the gospel. It's an ingrained part of the gospel. That, That is, it's one of the primary effects of, I would even say proofs of, our vertical reconciliation with God is proven. It's a it's, it's seen, it's demonstrated by our horizontal reconciliation. And not just any kind of reconciliation with any kind of people, but people of other nations, which is the word ethnos, which means ethnicity, other races. Scripture's so overt about this. And then last week we enjoyed Dr. Jerry Taylor sharing his educated and practiced opinion 
on what he sees from Scripture and in helping churches do this, address race, what he sees is our role in that world concerning race, and that is that of peacemaker. Everything you do, every post you make, every interaction you have, I'd like it to go all the way down to your feelings in response to any news story you see should be peacemaking in nature if you have given yourself over to the Spirit of God. You remember the full gospel scale? I, I played the piano, the full gospel scale for it to go. I thought of that last week when he was preaching. The full gospel scale concerning peace. Right? We are supposed to be peaceful. That's a fruit of the Spirit, right? That's, that is it, but that's not the complete scale of what the gospel's effect on us is. It becomes social. We're supposed to be people of peace, and then we should be peacekeepers, working hard to protect the peace in the community of faith. But that's not the full gospel scale. It goes all the way to get to what's called the resolve on the piano, to get to the resolve on what peace is supposed to do in us as disciples. We become peacemakers. We don't just have peace. We don't just maintain peace among us, but we become a force in the world like leaven is in bread and we go out into the world and we look for places where peace does not exist. Today I'm talking about it specifically in regards to race and we are supposed to go and be peacemakers, a catalyst, an ambassador of this kingdom view. The church as the body of Christ and each member of the church as a disciple of Christ is supposed to be actively confronting the sin of racism in our lives for the purpose of racial reconciliation, which I've defined in this series as racial healing and unity. Healing from any of the pain that racism has caused and unity as a force as we move forward to extinguish racism here on out. If racism still exists, it's in the world. It's not the world's fault. We expect that in the world. When racism, said another way, is present in the darkness, we don't expect the darkness to be able to defeat the darkness. That's the light's job. And Jesus said in no uncertain terms, you, church, are the light of the world. It's our job. I got an email. I got thank you all for your conversations and texts and phone calls and emails. I really enjoyed the critical thinking, the, even the pushback, and but especially you know some of the things that's inspired in you. I, I got one email this week, and I asked his permission to share it because it's like God affirmed to me in this man that my faith goal has at least taken place in one person. And I want you to hear what it might sound like. This is from I asked for permission from Terry, our brother Terry Bavuset. Said, Dear Brian, I've never heard of Dr. Jerry Taylor until you mentioned him a couple weeks before he came to visit the Southwest Church family. Anyone that wasn't moved and changed by his message was obviously dead, <laughs> asleep, or absent. Brian, I didn't think I... Here it is. Brian, I didn't think I needed this current series of lessons. I perked up. My son-in-law is African-American. Pauline and I both love him and his parents. I've always been offended by racism, coming from even anyone, even more so in the past few years. But then, I began to realize that our 
recent series of lessons was about something much larger. It's been about bringing all nations, all colors, all political parties, all religions, and all people together. Jesus lived and died so that we could be one in close fellowship with him and our Father. And the church was established so that all nations and all people could once again be one. Our Christians, as Christians, we, we have a very short job description, but a huge job to do. And sadly, we're failing at it. Can we say that? Can we just say that? Praise God for where it's not true, but don't we care about where it is true? He ends by saying, you and Dr. Taylor now have my full attention. Thank you for that. I love you, brother Terry Bubba said. I love you too, Terry. Thank you. Because that's my faith goal. My faith goal is that this series has now gotten your full attention. Not on me or Jerry, but on the subject of race. As a category of your discipleship that you are to attend to. Is it hard out there in the world? Yes, that's why we clarify. By transcending their hyper-focus on it, avoiding their worldly strategies, the worldly way in which they're addressing it, we don't connect and find solidarity with those political parties and those angles. and We don't, we don't do that. We find solidarity with God, and then we re-engage as kingdom citizens, as peacemakers. Every word, every action, I hope, every thought. In regards to this, regardless of what's going on out there, is that of peace for you and peacemaking. This is my faith goal. There's a so from now on to this series, church. So from now on. You don't get to say, race, yeah, our church did a series on that. We, we got it. <laughs> no, this series is supposed to be inspiring you to elevate the subject of race up into your consciousness to where you care about it because the church cares about it and the gospel is ingrained with it. That's why, not because it's going on in our culture, because it's in our Bible. And the so from now on, I could put so many things on the end that I want to have happen, but 2 Corinthians 5 does it just fine. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. We've transcended that. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against him, and he has committed us that message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. You know what an ambassador is, right? An ambassador is someone who goes to another kingdom or another country on behalf of their kingdom or their country to represent their country and their kingdom on foreign soil. There's a going to the other side if you're going to be an ambassador that's mandatory. The world regards everyone from a worldly point of view. Did you know that? Bulletin. We live in the world, so we're contaminated with that. So you have some of that too. We're not afraid to admit that. In fact, we admit it because we want to be healed from it. 
We want to address it. We want to be transformed out of that because we represent not our opinions, not our political convictions. We can have opinions, we can have political convictions, but transcending those is a kingdom perspective, a kingdom agenda we are ambassadors of. We're called to be ambassadors of the kingdom's view of race. You remember that Jesus taught us to pray. Kyle started our worship with it, that it would be here on earth as it is in heaven, right? What is it in heaven concerning race? John gives a little, he got the curtain pulled back and he got to look in to heaven and he had a little vision. And one of the things he saw, the thing he saw that he mentioned, he said, I looked and before me, was a great multitude that no one could count standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. That's what he saw. He saw this great multitude. We've had that picture. I've had it growing up. But he, he noticed one thing about that crowd, one thing he made mention of in this prophetic view. He said that that crowd that no one could count was from every nation. Remember nation, ethnicity. It was from every ethnicity, every tribe, every people, and every language. That's the one thing he noted about that crowd other than they were standing before the lamb and they had the white robes. That's what tied them together was the lamb and the cleansing that they had. It, it struck me. When we get to heaven, we're going to be the same race that we are now. Have you ever thought of that? I don't know what you thought. Were some disembodied spirit up there in the clouds? I grew up with that image too, but the more I read scripture, it doesn't seem to be that that's the case. Like Jesus, we will have a resurrected body. And like Jesus, we will be recognizable when we're resurrected. In a perfected body, but evidently that doesn't mean there's a one race heaven. That's not what perfection looks like. I can't find anywhere in Scripture where it tells us to have race-specific churches. I've only found the opposite. Should that not matter to us? People of the book. I think it should. I think we're called to something here. Our very commission, remember, is to go and make disciples of all nations. It's, it's embedded right in our charter, charter statement from our head. We're to go and make disciples. Are you being faithful to that? Are you making disciples, not just of your own people, but of other people? All ethnicities. So what do we do now? That's today. What do we do now? And I am sufficiently overwhelmed in trying to answer that question. So I've been praying, I've been planning. What do we do now, Southwest Church of Christ, to become a people that are active ambassadors of the kingdom in this crazy world we're in concerning race? What do we do now to become the overt, not just peaceful people, not just peacekeeping people, but peacemaking people out in the world? I've got three things, three work goals, if you will. The faith goal is that vision of Jesus that it be here on earth like it is in heaven. That's the faith goal. We'll have to let him deal with that, but what can we do that would contribute towards that? 
So three things that I'll leave you with that I hope from now, so from now on you will do. The first one I've already mentioned, and that is pray. Pray for racial healing and unity. Pray for it. That's said in the positive. Pray, said in the negative. Pray against the sin of racism. Pray. I won't belabor the point. We've covered this. But I'll just say this. If racial healing and racial unity are not being spoken of in your prayers regularly, then the work that you might be called to do by God is probably not being acted upon in your life regularly. You're just not, you're not conscious of it. I'm not trying to condemn you for that. I'm just trying to correct it. So we must pray. We must exercise that reconciled relationship that he paid so dearly for us to have and leverage it to bring about the relationships that we need to have with all ethnicities in the church. So that's the first thing. The second one I want to spend a little more time on, and that is I believe we, and by we I mean you, and by you I also mean we. There's a communal part of this as a church. There's an individual part of this for each one in the church. We need to build interracial friendships. We need to intentionally build interracial friendships for the purpose, in the positive, of racial healing and unity, and in the negative, to defeat racism. I believe relationships is the key. And so we, as God's people, need to be investing in that key. Now, this is going to require something super difficult. It's so easy to make this point number two. But this, this is, I'm not, it would be naive to say this was easy. It's not easy, but required. You have to go to the other side. Like we read about in that story of Jesus. I'm using it as an analogy for this. We, we need to go to the other side. We need to reach out to the garrisons as uncomfortable as that is for us as Jews. If you have ears to hear, we have to go into foreign soil. You have to leave your people and be among other people. You can't be an ambassador of the kingdom and not go into foreign soil, not to go into the discomfort of going into foreign soil. In this story, right there at the beginning of Matthew 5, it says they went across the lake to the region of the garrison. Stop right here. This is literally an example in the life and ministry of Jesus of him going to the other side. Up until now in the book of Mark, all the way through chapter four, the whole ministry and the ministry team he's employed, they're all Jews and they've been ministering to the Jews up until right now. And then this is just as dramatic for the Jews at that time as the walking dead would be if it was real. I mean, this is, this is out there. But he literally says, let's go to the other side, to a different people group, the Gerasenes, another nation, nationality, another ethnicity, part of a Decapolis of many, 10 cities of many nationalities. But to them, it was just this simple, Jew, non-Jew. There's lots of other ethnicities, but to them, it was just that simple. There's my people, there's other people. He said, let's go. Let's go to the other people. 
Up until right there, this hadn't happened. And this was dramatic. This was big. This spoke something. You you back up to that beginning of this when he said this. He literally uses that language. He says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. I was listening to a preacher. This is over a year ago. And I preacher I heard named Danielle Strickland she said this in a memorable way she goes Jesus was always going out of his way to get in the way right he was always going out of his way to get in the way here it's the Gerasenes in another place it's the Samaritans in another place it's to the edges with the lepers that no one would go near sometimes it was to Roman occupier families he was always in his ministry this was notable to the Jew, it should be notable to us. And she said another memorable thing. She said the reason he would go out of his way to get in the way is because this kingdom is for the whole world. And he knew something. Proximity is power. Proximity is power. I would love for our elementary kids in this town to be loved and cared for and educated. But it's our teachers who are in proximity to those children that get to be a part of that. Proximity is power. I would love for this world to be the kingdom view of race, but it's those in the church who have the method and the motive of the kingdom and then the guts to go and make interracial friendships. They're the ones that get to contribute to that and not just wish it happened. I wish it would happen. Maybe my vote will do it. Jesus is always doing this. And there is a problem with this. This is why it's so hard. In our little story, remember, there's a sea. There's a sea between the Jewish folks and the Gerasenes. There's a sea that has to be crossed. They got to get in a boat. They got to make the decision to go. And I'm telling you, that dividing wall was large. Now, those of you who've been to the Holy Lands, I haven't yet, but those of you who have, you know that sea's not that far at its widest point. It's just miles apart. But it might as well be relationally between the Jews and the Gerasenes. The Gerasenes might as well live on the moon because they have as much relationship with the Gerasenes as if the Gerasenes lived on the moon. Y'all know what I'm saying, right? Right across the street, there's just a street between us and Winland Village. Just a whole community of folks that live in that little complex. I could say it about Bonham. I could say it about these neighbors over here, but Winland Village. How much relationship do you have with someone over there in Winland Village? It's just a street. It's just it's a street away. And obviously, if you're a neighbor from Winland Village or you do have a relationship, this doesn't necessarily apply to you, but you get the point. That, they might as well live on the moon. Because you have as much relationship with them as it, it takes intentionality. It takes a decision to let's, hey, with Jesus, let's go over to the other side. And once you make that decision, you know what happens? A storm. <laughs> a storm came. Like once they made the decision, they had to decide whether to keep going or not. I'm sure everything about that storm makes you feel like it would be pragmatic to turn around and go back. And I believe that storm is the opposition. There is opposition to interracial friendships, to interracial unity. In the world, but also in the church. 
There's opposition. You'll have to get through those storms, that opposition. One of them comes in the form of awkwardness. It feels awkward, doesn't it? If you take this assignment seriously, it's going to feel awkward. So, I mean, I'm targeting people of a different race in order to become friends. I mean, are they projects or are they people? You know, shouldn't it just be more organic? It's going to feel awkward. Yeah, it is. And you're going to have to get through that storm. You can, but many use it as a reason to turn around, go back. To ask Jesus, do you not care about how difficult this is? This is hard. And he's going to get up. If you will just keep going, he will calm that storm. And they go, what? You still have no faith. You still have no faith. Look, I'm here. I'll help you get through that. Discomfort is one of those storms. I mean, when they landed, it is like the top five hit list of things that all Jewish children were told to avoid. There's a man with an evil spirit. I mean, can you imagine? They're thinking, are we really going to sail in here? Okay, maybe this will go good. The first thing confirms their worst fears. No, this is a bad idea. That guy's got an evil spirit. Run. He's, he's been touching dead bodies. He lives with dead bodies in a cemetery. And if you know anything about the rabbinical code, they are not, that's unclean. That's, they're right over there on the hill, there's pig farming going on. Okay, pigs, if you know anything about the rabbinical code, this is, this is like everything saying, right, let's go, Jesus, come on, we're getting out of here. No one would begrudge a Jew for turning around and hightailing it out of there. Except Jesus. And anyone who follows Jesus. This, this sea, as, as small as it was, and these obstacles, as overcomable as they are, they are not small. They are big. They feel big to us. And just some modern day, I told you about the crossing the street. What about the obstacles? So a few years ago, you remember, we were called to start a ministry, and I love our ministry, to the recovery community. Those who struggle with addiction, those who take care of those who struggle with addiction, the families of those who struggle with addiction. Thank you. Thank you for those of you who are here that are in that people group. But the first year when we decided to do this, we didn't start a ministry. We just researched it. Leadership wanted to get immersed in it, figure out what would really serve them. And one of the calls that we made to each other that we all agreed to was to go to five local AA meetings or NA meetings or CR meetings, Celebrate Recovery, a Christian version of AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And we had a little page that showed us checking off our five meetings and our leadership who was all in on this and feels the call of God on this. We didn't do it. Not everybody did it. I think couple didn't do any not throwing us under the bus i think i only did four <laughs> why is that because we're such horrible people no it's because this is opposed there are tons of very real and practical reasons to not do this kind of thing to not go over to the other side so we will be opposed so this one's big it's important So Jesus models it, but let me tell you just this one modern-day example of a spectacular racial healing and unity move that a man made. I got this from Dimitri Green. He told me about this. If you've been in a class of his, I think he's mentioned it there. He said he saw this picture. He saw this picture of a—I've got the article right here. He saw this picture of a black man posing in a picture with a Ku Klux Klan member. 
okay? When Dimitri tells the story, he's like, I saw this picture. I'm like, in what context would this ever happen? In what context would, on either side of this issue, would they, in peace, stand and pose for a picture together? And so we dove into it, and he found out the context. It was about a man, a black man named Daryl Davis. He's a blues musician. And I just read the story. And for the past 30 years, this man, this blues musician, has spent time befriending members of the Ku Klux Klan. Talk about a sea to cross. Talk about a storm to weather. Talk about a landing on the other side and a looking around. For 30 years, he's been doing this. And he says that once the friendship blossoms, the Klansmen realize that their hate may be misplaced. Imagine that. Fast forward 30 years, he says over 200 Klansmen have given up their robes as a result of a relationship with him. He has those. Davis collects these robes. He keeps them in his house. Why? As a reminder of the dent he's made in racism. I've got a link here if you want to pull up your phone and and copy this. This is because it's a worthy story. It's not very long. There's also a seven-minute like an interview of Daryl Davis that you can listen to him talking about this. Now, this is unbelievable, right? Maybe so unbelievable I shouldn't present it to you because you can't find yourself in this store. You can't imagine doing something like that. But can you imagine that if this man found that ministry to build interracial friendships, that God could lead you to what you are to do? Can you imagine that he might could do that if he could do that with this? Absolutely. You won't do it like him, but you can do it your way. You'll only find your way if you'll commit. I am going to build interracial friendships. Last thing that we can do, and that's just keep listening and learning. I have not found an activity that I've participated in that has been more beneficial to my friends of color than just listening and then learning. It it changes everything without doing anything. It also shows me what to do, maybe, as I move forward, but just listening and learning is that. A big part of this proverbial other on the other side is understanding that other, to be familiar with the other's outlook, the other's experience, the other's feelings and motives. So I will read just one little part from Daryl Davis's this, this article, okay? Because he says this, when he's asked, he's asked a bunch of questions, but he's asked, how in the world did you do that? You know, how, how'd you build this relationship? He goes, the best thing you do is you study up on the subject as much as you can. <laughs> he said, I went in armed, not with a weapon, but with knowledge. I knew as much about the clan, if not more than any of the clan people. Whether they like you or not, they respect the fact that you've done your homework. That began to chip away at their ideology because when two enemies are talking, they're not fighting. It's when the talking ceases that the ground becomes fertile for violence. If you spend five minutes with your worst enemy, it doesn't even have to be about race. It could be about anything. You'll find that you both have something in common. As you build upon those commonalities, you're forming a relationship. And you... As you build about that relationship, you're forming a friendship. That's what would happen. He said, I didn't convert anybody. 
They saw the light and converted themselves. Church, it was through friendship. Friendship. So to that end, this morning as we wrap up this series, I have some resources for you that I'd like to help you to be willing to, being willing to sit through this series already, I hope, is just, I think that's been an act of your surrender and willingness to consider, but I hope it's convinced you to engage on this subject so from now on as a, as a matter of faithfulness to the kingdom vision of the church and the gospel and how it's supposed to affect. So specifically, I'm asking you to pray. I'm asking you to build interracial friendships and to keep listening and learning about the subject of race. Okay, so here's, to that end, I have a couple of resources for you. The first one is this book that I have. Now, I read tons of books. I listened to tons of podcasts, listened to lots of sermons. And of all of them, this was the one that floated to the top as the one I wanted to promote to you. And I love the title. I almost titled my series this, Gracism. Isn't that great? Gracism. It's even greater when you read this author, David Anderson, a pastor, black pastor, as he unpacks what he's after here. So I want to promote this to you. If you need a next step to continue learning and listening, this is great. He comes from a kingdom perspective, gets some of the history, gives some of the, a bunch of the scripture, but also at the end deals in much more detail of what we can do next of what we can do next, of how we can continue this. This is a marathon. This Again, this isn't something we do, make a decision, and we're done. This is something we will do for the rest of our life. It's supposed to, we're supposed to be discipling racism out of ourselves, of our churches, and of our world forever. It's just gonna, until it's completed in heaven. And so I, I want to promote this to you. Now, you can get this on Amazon, you can buy your own. I did buy a case. I have 30 of them back there. So if you want to leave today with one, I, I, I got a bit of a discount. If you pay $10, that, that pays back most of what I paid for those. So, but, if, but if you don't have the money, you are welcome to one of those. They'll be right out there in the foyer with Cindy and you can get started today. You can get started today. You'll be blessed by that. And it's an act of faithfulness to what we're doing and what we want to do the, so from now on. So I've got another resource for you. It's a bit more personal. So uh, this is, I can't remember, a couple years ago, I think, I went to lunch with an Amarillo man. Got a picture of him here. His name's J. Don Booker. And the reason I met this guy, J. Don Booker, is because of one of our brothers, uh, J. Leverett, sitting right here. J. Leverett and J. Don are friends. And he invited me to lunch, and I got to meet. J. Don wouldn't remember me, but I remember him. He is an impressive man. And so because of their friendship, I got to go. But what was cool was I got to see, by this point, these two, Jay and Jadon, have been friends for decades. They've been friends for decades. And I could see it, you know, that they, they're friends. And I couldn't help but notice this is an unusual friendship. And uh, Jadon has since, I got to meet him at that lunch. He has passed away. And uh, after that happened, another friend of Jay Leverett's, uh, D. Miller, called him up, asked him to come. He wanted to hear the whole story. I'm sure D saw what I saw. This is a unique and unlikely, I think, friendship that has forged. And D saw it too. He goes, I want you to tell me the whole story, how it was forged, some of the highlights, all the way to the funeral. Just tell me that whole story because he wanted to write about it. Jay told me, I, I don't know why he wanted to write about it, you know, but, but he, and then, and then a couple weeks ago, we're starting the series. Jay called me and said, I've got, I've got something. He, you could tell he's just, 
not sure about this, but he feels like I'm supposed to give you this story. He drove and met me in my truck somewhere to make sure I had it. And he's like, and I just love Jay's humility. He's like, you know, I, I don't want to, I mean, he's, Jay would never want me to think that he's lifting himself up as some example, perfect kingdom example, right, Jay? That's not what you want. And it was a big gift for him to give it to me. So I read it. I couldn't stop. It's a short story. So I read it all in one setting and I just was in tears and I, formulating a text to him and I said thank you so much for the privilege of giving this story to God giving it to me I believe anyone that gets hands on this story will read it and they'll be changed forever and so uh, anyway that was the end of that it did its work on me as I'm continuing my study but last week as I'm preparing today and I'm thinking of examples and stories and Jay got the text for me that he probably didn't want. I said, Jake, could, could I please make copies of this and give it to the church family? And he instantly called me. He goes, whoa, 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 what? Tell me, tell me what, what you're thinking. I shared it with him. He prayed about it and thought about it for a night. And he decided to give this to God and therefore to us. I was like, maybe the reason D wanted to write it and you have it in your hands and you felt compelled to give it to me was to give it to us. And I, so thank you, Jay. I know it's uncomfortable for you, but again, uh, he's not He's not saying, and it doesn't say that he's a perfect example of the kingdom in this area, but it is a kingdom story in his life, in an imperfect man's life. It is that. That's what we're all looking for. And, and I said, the reason I want to give this to him, and I'm willing to ask you to do it, is because that, that Ku Klux Klan story, that one seems like unattainable. Here's one with two of our neighbors right here in our town. And you get to hear in detail how it started, how it went on. You're, it won't look like this either but I think you'll be able to find yourself in it and go, hmm, maybe that could happen to me. So I've got copies of these. I've got enough for sure for every family, but I actually probably have more than that. I have enough for probably every, I have 250 of them out here. We probably have 500 people here. So be sure and leave here. That's right out there with those books. So at least leave with this. And if you want a Gracism book you, and you're one of the first 30 that wants one, you can leave with one of those too. So these are just efforts at you continuing one more thing, the epilogue that D wrote in the back of this story. Because it involves Jay, it involves Benj Ware, another neighbor of his. And it says, but I love what he, D says, Jay Leverett and Benj Ware have private lives. And respecting that, this special story is shared with their permission, hoping those who have the privilege of reading it might consider loving your neighbor as yourself and doing to others as you would have them do to you. May we all realize the fortune of friendship. So my, my goal in this is for you to have access to some ideas that you can at least be confident that I'm confident of them, that you could do so from now on. You know, the series is going to be over. I'm about to say amen. But our work in this area is just begun. It's supposed to be permanent. I hope our leadership, from our leadership, you'll see us doing things here that are intentionally promoting interracial friendships that are intentionally promoting kingdom things so when you see them you'll know that's what they're for but we need everyone doing it individually as disciples so let me ask our elders and our ministers to move I know I've gone a little long thank you for bearing with me here there's just so much to say and I'm not saying so much of it so depending on that faith goal to be taking effect. They're moving around the room and up in the balcony. Just if you need a touch today on this subject or just any subject, 
that's going on with you. So let me end with this challenging question. I hope it's an inspiring question. According to Scripture, as we've studied it, what should look more racially diverse? The church or our schools? According to God's vision for his church, what should look more racially diverse? His church or Walmart when we go shopping? According to what we've studied here from Scripture, according to the gospel, what should look more racially diverse? The church or our workplaces? You know the answer. And I know it can happen. I know it can happen. And I know each of us and all of us can be a part of it if we will do the from now on part of this message. Let race from this day forward have your attention. Be careful that you do not give it attention like the world does or in reaction to how the world does it. Be faithful that every mention of the race from a social post where you're reacting or what commenting or you're promoting that you are not reflecting some political or personal feeling of defensiveness or appalledness, but it comes from a peacemaking place of the kingdom. That will mean more often than not, you will not post. You will not react, but you will go about praying. It should trigger prayer. It should trigger interracial relationship building. And it should trigger continual listening and learning. That's our role from now on. We want Jesus to reign, right? Come, Jesus. Come, Jesus, reign in us. Let's stand and let's sing to him and call out to him.